Welcome to Stepping Into Shakespeare. We're here today with Matthew Brenner, who is the director and also played Orsino in our podcast. So welcome, Matthew. Thank you. Welcome, Matthew. It's great to have you here. Yeah, so um, Matthew, how did you first get into acting? Oh, what a question. <laughs> um, I think just purely by chance. Um, I'd seen a skit performed by some Royal Navy sailors, <laughs> as you do. Hmm. And um, they were just larking around on a stage, you know, wearing outfits, wigs, whatever it was. Um, was this in England? Yes, it was, yeah. It was actually in uh, Cornwall. And um, I thought that looked like fun. And they looked like they were having fun and expressing themselves in quasi-macho ways and just larking around and so on. So I thought, oh, okay. And I, you know, I'd um, had an interest, perhaps, to a limited degree of um, the stage. and um, But I felt there was a sort of, some sort of creative energy within me that was unfulfilled mm. and um i really wanted to um you know just uh explore it and have you done everything at school when you were at school huh? i didn't i was i i may have done a couple of classes but i was not artistic um i was very much into sport um in fact my youth was dominated by uh, basketball and tennis and golf. Uh, mm. It was really the only things that I sort of focused on outside of family and uh, school time. Um, I, I was, I suppose I was uh, quiet, um, the quiet beetle, <laughs> <laughs> um, and introverted, shy. So um, sport was the only outlet that I had. Mm -hmm. um, so it didn't, it really didn't occur to me that to stand on a stage would be anything more than torture, probably, at that time. Wow. And then what was the transition part where you actually liked it? So I'm ex-military. I was in the Royal Navy for four years, and I decided to leave. And I was focusing on what I wanted to do once I'd left. And uh, it was a long time ago, but, um, you know, I needed a job. I needed to do something. And I just thought with the, having seen that skit, and um, there are a couple of other blokes who were also leaving and talking about what they were going to do, perhaps some modeling or something. And I thought that sounded quite, you know, positive, something maybe that I could strive to do. Um, but I... You know, as I say, I always felt that I had this creative energy, this sort of, I don't know how you describe it, this sort of animal um, energy that, uh, you know, was um, omnipresent and um, needed expressing. I think it was a, just a case of, you know, opening up and expressing myself. And, um, and acting was the perfect outlet for this then. You know, I think it, it was, yeah. It's certainly... Um, helped to bring me out of my shell. I mean, I was always interested in 
many things, but just um, not very good at um, communicating or um, expressing my feelings, you see. Which, and when did yeah. you come across to Shakespeare? Yes, so um, so when I left the Navy, I joined an amateur dramatic society and um, I met a couple of people there who uh, said, have you ever thought about drama school? And I said, oh, God, no. And um seemed like purgatory, you know, mm -hmm. going to a institution that would try and, you know, break me down and so on. But so I, 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 but truthfully, I'd never considered it for a second. So, I mean, the amateur stuff I thought was a, a route in to acting. Mm -hmm. And because we had a really good local drama group. And um, so I was doing musicals. I was doing Hans Christian Andersen and Kiss mm -hmm. Me Kate. And I was cast in Fiddler on the Roof. And at that time, um, I'd been auditioning for drama school. Um, you know, I'd cobbled together a Shakespeare monologue and a modern speech. And I thought, oh, I'll just I'll give it a go. I mean, I really had no expectations um, at all. Um, and miraculously, I, I was accepted to a drama school as their sort of, um, uh, I don't know what they how they defined it, but just sort of a, a late entry group who, mm -hmm. I guess the term started in September and we actually started in Jan the following January. So, and needless to say, you know, we... Um, we we started to um, uh, get into the um, you know the regime of uh, movement and voice and dance, all the stuff that was completely alien to me. Um, and eventually, we came to Shakespeare. And but by then, I'd I'd sort of um, met this chap who. Um, in fact, he was teaching night classes at drama school, and I met him just by chance in a in the local pub. And uh, you know, I think um, you know he he'd started a theatre company, and they were doing Shakespeare. So he said, "Have you done any?" And I said, "No." I said, "I read it at school, and it just baffled me. It was." boring mm. um, it was, I just did you have to do just to interject because we've talked about this in the past with Emmanuel and um, you know in England we obviously had to do play did you have to do a Shakespeare play at school thankfully not uh, okay. um, <laughs> as I say I was really sporty that was my playground my um, springboard mm -hmm. for mm. expression so I you know of course I saw plays at school and you know, whatever, but um, not wishing to sound cynical, but when you're, you know, 14, 15, you really are not thinking about that kind of stuff. No. So, <laughs> I don't know if you're thinking at 14 or 15, right? Uh, you like, are. You're thinking of about other, other things. things. <laughs> yes. That's you know, another podcast. Hormones are, <laughs> yeah. hormones are raging. <laughs> um, but just to, you know, finish my point. Um, so, yeah, I, I met somebody who mentored me and, uh, you know, timing, and that was fortuitous in the sense that... So did you had an initial barrier towards Shakespeare? Yes, I did. I, I mean, you know, or... I did. we looked at Julius Caesar when I was at school. In fact, I pinched the, um, the text, the book. I still have it. Um, <laughs> from the library? <laughs> well, from the class, you know, yeah. and it was a hardback-bound copy, beautifully nice. um, preserved um, with... 
beautiful text and so on. And it was on, you know, lovely uh, um, print, finish, paper, whatever. Um, anyway. A souvenir. A souvenir. Yes. And um, so I still have that play. Um, but, you know, and I remember reading and I just thought it's baffling. I don't know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and thankfully it came and went very quickly. So um, I didn't have to really concentrate on it. But, um, you know, once I had met this mentor who really inspired me, I have to say, he, um, he uh, you know, was talking Shakespeare 24-7. It was um, reading scenes. I mean, we were reading Richard III, Lady Anne, um, brilliant scene. Um, and I was really learning. I was, mm. I was a novice. I was, you know, a, I felt like a fish out of water, completely out of my comfort zone. But it was broadening my imagination. It mm-hmm. was stretching my intellect. It was um, uh, inspiring me in, in, in a very unusual way, and um, which I think is the brilliance of Shakespeare. I mean, mm-hmm. it's essentially just... Uh, and it touches so many people. I would hope. I mean, you know, Shakespeare is as, is as relevant today as he was 450 mm-hmm. years ago. And, um, because and do you think at the beginning it was more the text that fascinated you or it was more the characters and the, and the diversity of the I think characters. the stories, the I stories. mean, just the stories were so um, inspiring and, mm-hmm. and of course the characters. And then, of course, then you, you know, you, you have to figure out the, the language, what the words mean, how they relate to the characters and so on, how the characters relate. So I don't know what it was. As I say, I think it just touched on this kind of creative energy within me that um, needed to be expressed. And yes, Shakespeare is no doubt inspirational and um, to such an enormous degree. I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. if you have a, you know, if you can relate, and I think all he's talking about is the human condition. Mm -hmm. That's, That's all it is. I mean, which is as relevant, as I say, 500 years ago as it is today. So, And that'll be the same in 500 years. So, yeah. That's that's amazing. Now, you and I actually met. We met at Matthew organized the Shakespeare reading group at his house in L.A. <laughs> we read several plays, mm. um, which, was, which was really great. But I also know that you've directed uh, Shakespeare because you directed As You Like It. Yes, I did over 20 years ago. In fact, in 2000. I did on a in a fringe venue. Um, yeah, we were doing Henry V and As You Like It in repertoire, and um, I was in both and directed one of them, As You Like It, as you just mentioned. Um, so I, yes, I, uh, I don't know. Was it the full plays? It was the, both the wow, plays. It was okay. the, probably the the greatest challenge. And you did them like different nights. You were doing them back and oh, forth. Oh yeah, okay. Until the very last day, we did. One in the afternoon and one in the evening. Wow. So, so you did like six hours of Shakespeare per day. Well, we did uh, the, the final day we did, but we were doing, I think we were doing eight shows a week with maybe Monday off. We mm. do, you know, Tuesday to Sunday. Excuse me, perhaps throw in a matinee. Um, and yeah, we had... Was that difficult as an actor to remember which play, like which lines? Because remembering one play lines is a lot, but two plays is quite sharp. No, I was younger then. My memory was more <laughs> attentive. Uh, 
I don't think so. I, it didn't. I don't recall it being a problem for me. I think the, as I say, the greatest challenge was actually coordinating two productions, mm. um, and with the budget that we had and the number of actors that we had, was it was a real challenge. And and then somebody would drop out because of work or whatever, and then we'd have to we'd start from square one. So we need. Mm you know, somebody to do three or four roles. And so they became very challenging, I have to say. Mm-hmm. But good training. I mean, you're juggling everything at once. Yes. Um, you know, I um, it, it, uh, it was a great experience. I mean, you know, I felt that we did justice to the plays in terms of we started with a concept and we, you know, we developed that concept, and um, of course, you're doing a tragedy, Henry V. You're mm. doing a comedy as you like it. So he had it. It was a nice juxtaposition of story and characters, and um, yeah, so on. <laughs> yeah. So you worked with all these different plays of Shakespeare. Is there one which is close to your heart, which you feel is more? Well, the first Shakespeare I ever did was Romeo and Juliet. I played Romeo, and I've. In fact, I did it a couple of times after that, too. Mm. And I think probably that play somehow more it's than any other. Mm-hmm. It is. I mean, you know, it's not without its um, traps, but I think um, it was a great vehicle for me to begin to, you know, be fresh out of drama school and, uh, you know, to really um, focus on a part that was probably quite close to me. I was young and um, so on. And, um you know, it's, it's, it wasn't easy. You know, I was still learning, learning how to um, really relate uh, as an actor, as a man, um, and trying to, you know, figure out what this character was going through and um, and all that stuff. So it was it was a, it was a challenge, yeah. And the uh, segue into Twelfth Night. Mm-hmm. How? I mean, obviously, you have done like so much work on for us you know just in terms of cutting the play you took it down from probably around three hours i would say to at least two hours for the podcast and then we did the abridged performance which was i would say 20 minutes can you talk a little bit about your experience doing that it's it's difficult to compare to any other i mean if i was to as i say compared to 20 years ago it's a similar experience in that you know you always know you have a time constraint and um you you know you're coordinating people and um, you you're trying to understand the story um, fundamentally so that you hope that the concept that you're developing um, essentially tells the story and people will will you know understand and hopefully there'll be clarity and uh, so on and then obviously you want to um, just shorten it a bit because sometimes it can. Um, you know, it can sort of run on. Um, so I think it's always good to try and cut if you can do it, mm-hmm. give, do it justice, of course, and not just do it because um, for the sake of it. So there was all that. So I was learning about the play, learning about the story, the characters, the verse and all that stuff. And that was just all encompassing for me. Yeah, definitely. And what about playing Orsino? Had you played Orsino before? Yes, I have. Yes. Ah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, I had the fortunate experience of playing Orsino in um, LA, I think probably 15 years ago, in fact. Was that a Long Beach? Did you do? No, it wasn't. It was um, Pasadena. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And I remember it was in the open air. It was a beautiful venue. And, nice. um, you know, it was, a, of course, it was a very 
hot performing yeah, outside at the time. I was just time. talking about the LA weather. Yeah, we didn't, we couldn't hover around any air conditioning or anything. So. No, no, it's tricky, isn't <laughs> but it? But no, it was, I, I, I don't remember too much about it, um, but I think uh, what I have probably learned is, you know, if you're going to take on the mantle of director and actor in a, in a Shakespeare play, then I think, you know, it does take some homework to sort of comprehensively understand what's going on and really to um, have your actors be able to also get a fundamental understanding of what's going on. Um, I mean, you know, you obviously have to know what you're saying and why you're saying it and, and to whom you're saying it. So if you have those three principles in place, then you will naturally, you know, tell the story and uh, with clarity and um, so on. So, yeah, I, you know, it's difficult because, you know, Shakespeare is challenging. The academia of Shakespeare is uh, challenging, trying to, you know, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's so many words, words we've never heard before, words we've never spoken. There's so much that to, you know, to really um, put under a microscope to get an understanding of. And uh, if you don't, then I think then you're not, you know, being true to the story um, in that way. Yeah, it's fascinating. And I thought you brought quite a melancholy feel to Orsino. You know, I, I noticed he was quite like he had like a, you know, almost a sort of poetic kind of feeling to him. Yeah, I mean, you know, he, he speaks some beautiful poetry um, and he is a melancholic uh, character in in every respect, I think. Um, why? We, we don't know. He, he is who he is. He's, you know, he's self-indulgent. He's um, a, perhaps a depressive, melancholic, certainly. Um, so he shares that actually with Olivia. She's indulging in her grief. Yes, I think there's definitely a correlation. Um, he's not in grief, but he's in yearning for something that perhaps is not really what he wants, but he thinks he wants it, you mm -hmm. see. So it's it's the idea of love, you know, mm -hmm. to the, it's more of an infatuation, I think. And um, uh, so why he indulges in, in that, we don't know for sure. We can only surmise that he, um, he's seen Olivia, of course, they're neighbors in the same mm -hmm. town. Um, she's beautiful. Um, she's wealthy, you know, she's quite a catch. There's, it's totally understandable why he would be infatuated. Um, but it takes Viola, actually, as Cesario to, I think, make him realize um, what, in fact, he actually wants and needs, you know. He needs that type of woman that Viola represents and not Olivia, necessarily, mm -hmm. Perhaps he's too close to Olivia in in character mm -hmm. and in status and so forth. He and needs like a complementary relationship rather well, than I a think he he needs somebody that really um, enhances his life, mm. who um, inspires him, and she does undoubtedly. You know, she is a great Shakespearean heroine. You know, she's. Yeah. Um, She's most certainly on a par with um, Rosalind and Beatrice mm -hmm. and many others, um, undoubtedly. But um, I think that 
you know, he, how could he resist such a strong, um, inspirational woman that Viola is? Um, you know, and I think, as I say, I think she holds the mirror up to him and, and reflects back to him who he really is. Mm -hmm. um, and that all along, probably like all of us, you know, we, we're looking for love. We want love and we want to love. And I think that's the, the same for him. So, mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think he's, like from what I got from our scene when we did Viola and Orsino, when he's, he's trying to say women can't love, they don't have the capacity to love and she's throwing it back at him and she's like, what? She basically wants to say, like, but she can't, you know, and she's trying to like tell him, hey, you've got the wrong idea here, but it's, it's interesting how Shakespeare did that. And he evolved through as well. Olivia is really mean to him at one point. So mm -hmm. then it's probably the turning point for him where he had to figure out where he wants to go. Well, yeah, and I think, um, but I think then, you know, he's un he's no doubt um, been become more and more and more attracted to Cesario, albeit mm -hmm. who is ma masquerading as a boy. Um, and I think when he sees Olivia in Act Five, um, I think yeah, the bubble bursts. Mm -hmm. I think he realizes mm -hmm. that in fact she's not the woman for him. Mm -hmm. And it only it takes Sebastian's entrance to you know literally blow the lid off the Absolutely. whole story. <laughs> it's great. And then Viola has to you know um, reveal herself. Yeah. And um, and she does, and it it really it just kind of um, puts it's, everything in perspective. Mm -hmm. And it's a very rich play. It has all this theme of love and. Identity oh, I mean, struggle and it's, everything it's is in so, there. It's so omnipresent. It's so topical. I mean, Shakespeare was so far ahead of his time. And of course, now in the world that we live in, uh, you know, everything that is, uh, all the themes of Twelfth Night are um, very uh, much present around us today. Um, and yeah, I mean, Shakespeare was so far ahead of his time. Um yeah. And we had a very interesting conversation just with George who mentioned like it was interesting how you need humor and he was saying how they had fools they ha they paid for humor because they knew it was so important to their life you know you both Olivia and Orsino pay for that humor because maybe naturally you know you have a lot of money but you're essentially both unhappy yeah. unhappy people um well if you you know if you can imagine what it could have been like, um, you know, four centuries, five centuries ago, perhaps during the Italian Renaissance, when, you know, every family apparently had a fool. Wow, and, um, that's a lot of fools. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or at least every, it must perhaps have been every, so fun at that time. Yeah, every aristocrat. Every evening instead of Netflix, it was exactly. joke time. <laughs> exactly. That's it was like, a, no Instagram reels. Yeah. No, exactly. Entertainment. Yeah. Well, for wow. sure, no, no. Only the aristocratic families, you know, the wealthy upper class families would have. Um, but yeah, it was the their, their entertainment. Yeah. But also, I mean, the fool, was able yeah. to say the truth. Was really? could yeah. say the truth yes. and um, was a comfort, perhaps. Mm -hmm. And um, because of the truth, people want to hear the truth. Mm -hmm. Actually, yeah. 
Do you think so? I'm I think, not sure. so. I think, I think it's the way to growth. I think, I think it is. Even if it's brutal. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I think, I think like Olivia says, it, there's no, you know, in an allowed fool, if you're allowed. Uh, but yeah. like if it's But it's actually the fool who makes her realizing that her um sadness or, or mourning is ridiculous. Is is maybe <laughs> has has to come to an end. Yes. <laughs> exactly. So, she, so he made yeah. it in a good way. I mean the human way is maybe the most comfortable way we can accept the truth. Yeah. Because in an aggressive way we all feel attacked. Oh yeah, absolutely. So it's Hearing like, to the truth through humor is maybe the way we can accept it. Interesting. And it's almost like therapy, right? Because like if you're paying somebody and they're going to yeah. tell you something, you're like, okay, I'll listen to you. But if somebody <laughs> in the street tells you, yes. you'll be like, who's this person? <laughs> yeah, I think there's a fine line, isn't there, between yeah. truth and um, perhaps non-truth, but... Or the perception that, of the other. Yeah. The perception, yeah. And I think uh, in this in, the, in Twelfth Night, it certainly is the perception of mm -hmm. uh, loss. Um, and as one of the themes of the story, you know, it's certainly... And with, in Orsino's case, the perception, the idea of love mm. is not really real um, until, you know, Viola... And why do you think Orsino has not been... Had, has got this weird idea of love that doesn't exist you know do you think he was just so cloistered in his responsibilities and duties that he wasn't able to kind of like just fall in love like regular people or because he's human that's why i mean you know there are no right or wrong answers there's many questions mm. i mean but we all know of this thing called love we've perhaps all experienced it in varying degrees and forms and but I think in his case, um, yeah, maybe he, you know, he's got responsibilities. He's um, he's obviously a very busy man, and um, perhaps he hasn't had time. I don't know. But, <laughs> he's a workaholic. Um, <laughs> you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, and um, um, or maybe it's also an idea to preserve something so beautiful. Right. And they, in reality, love and relationship they break down to something. Which is not always so beautiful than you imagine it. it. Isn't and oh, that yeah. pain? It may, I don't know. So, it was maybe a way for him to perceive it. Mm. Well, I think yeah. Um, I mean, of course, there's always an underlying um, energy, perhaps a darker energy or something. You know, we are sort of um, there's shades of grey, black and white, whatever it is. Yes. But I think you know that the energy, the power of love, is un un. You know, it's uh, undeniable. You know, if you've been been in love or whatever, it, um, it's it's very powerful. And um, and I think maybe he's got to a point where he's ready. You know, mm -hmm. he thinks mm -hmm. he's ready mm -hmm. to settle, yeah. mm -hmm. have a family, and yeah. she seems like yeah. a, a prime candidate. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah. And after having read now with us the whole play, is there like a line or a sentence which? Is close to your heart, or which you really like, or you enjoyed I, reading it. No, it, it's actually to revisit the play yeah. was was a privilege and a pleasure because it, I'd forgotten how accessible it is, and how topical it is, and how uh, relative it is, you know, to to how we exist today. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, it's um, 
I don't think there is a line necessarily. I think there's some wonderful, you know, poetry in the play from other characters, and I can't think of anything specifically off the top of my head, but... Um, you know, I would urge anyone to read it because mm -hmm. I think yeah. it's... Yeah, uh, and, and what yeah. would your advice be to, say, a beginning actor who was a bit nervous about taking on Shakespeare? Well, I, I was that person at one time. Um, I would say just be brave, um, risk failure. I mean, if there is such a thing, you know, when you're trying to understand Shakespeare, even scholars and professors still... Are trying to fathom and analyze what, what it means. I mean, it's, it's always evolving. It's always taking on different shapes. And I think it always will because the stories, although they speak for themselves, they stand up as great masterpieces of, you know, literature, frankly, um, because the stories are so relatable of the human condition. Um, I think that um, to a young actor, I would say, just throw yourself in, yeah, have fun, enjoy. Yes. That's, That's amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Matthew. We loved working with you. And you too. I really enjoyed like the whole hybrid process we had yeah. of the podcast and the performance. It was great. Really, thank you a lot. And I, I learned Pleasure. a lot thanks to you. And you oh, took your time you. to read to the text. And for me, it was a really, really important process. Thank I'm glad. you. Thank you very thanks. much. Thank you so thank much. Thank you.